Welcome to Corrod Core from Sacred Heart of Jesus Parish in Wadsworth, Ohio with Father Patrick Schultz and Chris Serger, where we share heart-to-heart on topics of faith, culture, and life in the church. Okay, we should probably start. All right. All right, well, um, last episode of this segment of Corrod Core. Welcome back, everybody. Father Pat Schultz, parochial vicar here, Sacred Heart of Jesus Parish in Wadsworth, joined always by my good buddy, Chris Serger parishioner and a recent attendee of an outstanding three-day mission by oh, Father on. Patrick Phillips. Thanks, buddy. It was outstanding. It was it was fun. It was really fun. It was uh I was I was thrilled to do it. Like as a priest, it's hard because like I think I said this one point during the mission that like you have so much at least for me, I have so much in my heart that I like want to share always. Mm-hmm. Um but you you have like 15-ish minute, I maybe have 20-ish minutes for a Sunday homily, you know? Right. You don't have time to, like, sit and unpack these beautiful things, and it was just awesome to have three three nights, an hour and a half, two hours to to soak in the mystery, soak in the beauty, and it was just awesome. I, I loved it. Well, and you don't get to pick your theme always either, right? Right, I mean, like, right. You don't give sermons. You, you're required right. to preach on the readings, specifically yeah. the gospel, so... The fact that you get to choose this whole theme of beauty and break that down into the three nights was, um, yeah, it was... What was your big takeaway, if I could put you on the spot? Oh, my gosh. What was my big takeaway? My big takeaway is, um, I think your whole theme of the masks, Mm. and actually it applies to this chapter. I wrote it in one of the margins here. The masks that we wear, and like... I th- that to me is one of the keys. Like you've got to identify what yours is mm-hmm. if you're really going to grow spiritually. I'm not saying I have, mm-hmm. but th- that's the one that keeps coming back. And that phrase that you gave on the first night about the bell tolling in your heart, you talked about how the bells were always the first things that the communists would remove because yeah. they didn't want people to be called to prayer. So you use that metaphor of the bell in your heart. That's God's way of, you know, what are the bells in your heart? And so that, that's one of, first of all, there's going to be a song written by about mm, that, that mm. theme at some point. I, I, can, I wrote it down as soon as you said it, but that idea of like, yeah, we all have those different ways into God, right? And yeah. uh, the, the true, the good, and the beautiful is, I don't even know who actually originated this, but I know Bishop Barron says it all the time. Yeah. We all come in different ways. Well, I think it's kind of cool, just kind of bringing it all around. Like, this book was definitely one of those bell tolling, piercing moments for you all those years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, when you when you talked, I mean, what, what episode was that when you, like, read your favorite paragraph in oh, the English language? Oh, that was language? on Witnesses. Yeah the, yeah, the whole souls are saved by saved souls doing the work God gave them to do. Let mm-hmm. me just directly quote instead of paraphrase. Look at you. <laughs> yeah, like like he woke something up in you with this book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. The because um, one of the things that I love about this, and you and I both sort of geek out, on this, and this is no knock on other people, but uh, you know, some people are like moved by language. I I'm one of those people. Yeah. I in music there are uh, just there are lyricists that just they just write in ways, and you hear that line. That was Satan. That was weird. Yeah. So so for those listening at home, I don't know if we'll edit this out, randomly two photos just fell from the bookshelves in Father Pat's office. That's been sitting there quietly, comfortably since August 4th. Yeah. Hmm. He's yeah. trying to disrupt us, I think. 
Regardless, um, I have a love for the English language, and so that's one of the things I love about Newhouse. Like, it's one thing to write about these things very academically, but he just has this way with words that I've, I know other people that have read this book, and they're just not struck by it the way that yeah. I am. Like, for, I love that about oh. that turn in the phrase. Yes, mm, and he was a master of it. Richard oh yeah, Newhouse. yeah. No, the, his his word smithery is just. <laughs> delicious so we are uh we're coming to the to the end of this book we are at the end of this book with this chapter the seventh word the title of this chapter is the scars of god Mm. which like shoot you could just you could spend some time just meditating on that alone so the seventh word from the cross father into your hands i commend my spirit where do you want to start father well i think it's uh i think it's important to start with what uh, Father Newhouse brings up at the very beginning of this chapter, where um, to note that once again, this last word of the cross from the cross is Jesus addressing God again, not as my God, my God, but as Father. Right. Uh, there's something really powerful about that um, that fatherhood of God there. Yeah, he t- and he goes into the whole uh, the Aramaic word Abba, which you know I think of being a little. Fifth grader and guardian angels, Abba, Abba, Father. Yeah. You know the songs we used to sing. Um, you but, are the Potter. <laughs> we are the clay. Yeah. <laughs> so people are going to go. This episode is already off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but that whole intimacy of the fatherhood of God, and um, I've actually heard. Uh, I don't know if Catholics do this, but I've heard Protestants when they pray. Sometimes they will they say Father God like it's almost the way that they address mm-hmm. God. Which when I, the first time I heard it, it struck me as really sort of odd, mainly just because I'd never heard it. Yeah. It's completely like Jesus refers to him as Father. Yeah. The 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 prayer is called Our Father. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so Newhouse talks about how some Christians have problems with addressing God as Father, and he goes into a little bit about just the whole. The, the maleness and femaleness and you know there's you know there's but I'd love it he just he just puts that to rest right uh, the potential feminist critics of that um, and he just says look Jesus the Christ addressed him as father and we cannot address him at all except through and with Jesus the only God we know is the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob whom Jesus called father <laughs> but it sort of puts it to bed. <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't, yeah, and he, like, it doesn't mean that God is like a man. I actually just had this discussion with my kids. It's like, yeah. It doesn't mean God the Father is a man. It's just we know yeah. persons as male and female, and Jesus calls him Father. Yeah, totally. And I love on the bottom of 230, uh, the early Christians understood that in Christ and through Christ, they could approach God in the same way as Jesus, right? So, like, this came home to me, I don't know, a few summers ago. I was at a a conference, and Father Mike Schmitz uh, was preaching, and... um, The Father Mike Schmitz? The Father Mike Schmitz. The (laughs) Bible in a Year podcaster. The Ascension Presents, world's fastest talking priest. Um, Did you get to touch him? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, he you like shook his hand? I shook his hand. I didn't wash my hand for weeks, man. <laughs> it was incredible. No, he um he told this story and it made me think of this how like my dad was a business owner, CEO growing up and uh like as the as the son I would always be, you know, my parents would bring me to work, you know, during Christmas break and things like that. And uh 
I would come in the office and say hi to all the secretaries and people and, you know, I'd walk around that place like I owned the place, man. Right. And then I would just like walk into my dad's office, sit down, or I would just like walk in, sit down at his chair, throw my feet up on his desk, you know. And like the memories that came back were all these employees who would, you know, they would pop in, stop at my dad's door, knock on the door. Hey, Rick, do you have a quick second? You know, and um, like they didn't just just traipse into his office, sit down in his chair, throw their feet up on his desk because <laughs> they weren't the son, right? That like I had access to my father because I was the son. And now what, what, what Newhouse is saying, what, like, what the gospel tells, what the New Testament says is that this is the same access that Jesus had, the same like posture of intimacy that he had with the father we have now because of our baptism. He gets into this later, but through that whole notion of the spirit of adoption, um, which is just so powerful that like the father doesn't like really love Jesus and like right. he likes us. No, <laughs> he loves us and it attends to us and is paying attention to us with the same love and attention that he had for his own son, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like what Jesus is by nature, we become by grace, um, which is so powerful. Yeah, it is. Oh my, yes. And there's so much, there's so much to, to get into there. I, I mean, there's the biblical language of like, you must become as little children. Well, what do little children have? They have fathers, yeah. right? And because they're the ones who get into heaven. And it doesn't mean you're, um, it, it, it doesn't, people hear that passage and they have these negative connotations about it. But Jesus is saying, like, it becomes little children because you're dependent on the father. Like, that's how you know him and like you can, children trust their parents, right? Yeah. They trust their parents implicitly. Um, and, and it leads into what he starts to say on, on 232. I love that this paragraph. Uh, he talks about people that had this problem with like being children of God. I, I'm sure you <laughs> can, have it. Can you back up and do the part here where grownups, it is said, do not need the crutch of a parent figure to lean on. Yeah. Good for them. <laughs> I know. I Good for them. I yeah, and, and then he goes, I once asked an old priest, a famous spiritual director, what he had learned from hearing thousands of confessions, and I wonder how this relates to uh, your experience so far. Mm -hmm. He had a ready answer. There are no grown-ups. There are grown-ups who pretend, and then there are those who have grown up to know the second na naivete, which comes from an earlier chapter, of our utter dependence. The child, capital C, child Jesus, who was utterly faithful in his utter dependence was given not a crutch to lean on, but a cross to die on. To those whom he calls his brothers and sisters, he says, take up your cross and follow me. Pretending to be grown up is easier. And this actually goes exactly with what I was just saying, what my takeaway from your mission, this is where I wrote our mm. masks. Like, isn't that all these masks that we wear is us pretending to be grown up? Oh, totally. Thinking we just got it all together. Totally. We don't need anything else. We don't need anybody else. I'm not going to depend on God or mercy. Like, I've just got... And that's, this is such an American way of life, too. I think... I, obviously, I've never lived anywhere else, but it is like classic Americanism, right? Mm -hmm. The self-made man yeah. who took his... Just done it all himself. Mm -hmm. There are no self-made men. No. There's no grown-ups. There are no grown-ups. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, that is so good. That is so spot on. Yeah, I have, look, I've got a lot of stars. Yeah. A lot of stars. Yeah. yeah. I love this, too. One might be well advised to keep it up were it not for the truth that the darkness we feared as a child is real. The darkness we feared is but a slight premonition of the darkness from which he cried, Jesus, and we with him. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit that, like, 
like that primordial fear of the dark, you know, or just from things that go bump in the night as a kid, um, is like Newhouse is like saying, like you you were you're kind of right to have been afraid because there is actually a big thing called death mm-hmm. that is scary that looms over all of adulthood, all of life, and yet Jesus has done away with it. Yeah, that oh. That, that fear of the dark, he talks about how even as a grown man, he still prayed that prayer every night when he went to bed. Now I lay me down to sleep. Yeah. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And he does this little commentary about how you know they've changed it because it's so, if I should die before I awake, is so scary for kids. My yeah. kids actually had some little like lamb that if you press the paw or something, well, or I guess hoof, lambs don't have paws. <laughs> if you press the hoof and it would say that, and they changed the same thing. It was... Uh, uh, something if I forget. I live but another they, day, give me the grace to follow your way, or yeah, something. or something, or like, or let me wake with morning light, or something like, or yeah. keep me safely through the night, and uh, let me wake with morning's light, or something. Yeah. It's like that's not the prayer. That's not it. And he, yeah. So, anyways, I love um, that. <laughs> yeah, he, that prayer though can be an expression of childlike faith. It, and it can also be, and I think this is a good way to go into, uh, it can also be trust defiantly hurled. I love that. Yeah. He's talking about how um, in the in the Gospels, when we're talking about this word, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, it's it's often that people think of it as sort of like a resignation, like because yeah. it's the last word, and Father, into your hands. But, he, but the Gospel writers say it was with a loud cry, like he yeah. belted this out. Yeah. Which is just like... Number one, how does a dying man, a man who's dying of asphyxiation, shout loudly? Mm-hmm. Um, just so, yeah, like he reserved all of his energy for this final cry of commendation. Um, and I love the, the connection to uh, kind of the biblical witness of, of um, reminding God of his promises, mm. right? That that's the theme always throughout the Old Testament. You see that in the patriarchs. You see that in the prophets. Like you get the sense that, like that the like Moses or Abraham, they're reminding God, like, hey, you're supposed to be nice to us. Right. Remember your promises. Remember what you said. Remember what, who you told us you would be. Right. Um, and uh, like, what's the point of that? Not not because God forgot, but because we need the reminding. There's something really powerful about. All right. God, you are the God of life. You are the God of promises. You are the God who wants to bring about good things. Uh, I, just, I just love that. Yeah. Yeah. Prayer is persistent, and sometimes it is despite everything. It's this hope against hope, as the he hope says. Hope against hope. Hope amid the wreckage of shattered hope. Hope that there is hope beyond hope. Faith and hope are finally one. That's what he's saying. That's what's happening here. Jesus yeah. is commending his spirit and like entrusting it to the Father in this... This hope that, like all of humanity had had, from the foundation of the world, as it says over in time, it's finally it's been accomplished. It is finished, but it's not over. Like we talked about in the last chapter, right? It's finished, but it's not over. Yeah. Um, and so there's this whole this trusting uh, element of Father into your hands. I commend my spirit, and He's saying, like that word "commend" means to entrust. Like I'm handing it over to you, like to for you to take care of this. Yeah. Right. It's not saying like I give you. My spirit saying, I'm commending it to you because I entrust it to you. So that whole trust thing, um, I think this comes out of your mission, uh, the mission that we just did too, what, the, this whole idea of like just 
trusting that it was all enough. Mm. And I think it's really easy for us, myself included, to forget that sometimes, right? Um, because especially as Catholics, we're so we're really good at following rules, right? It's yeah. really good for us to go. I come to church. I'm going to say a rosary. I'm going to do a holy hour. And I'm going to invoke saints and pray before meals. And like, gosh, I just hope I'm doing it right. Mm-hmm. You know? I hope when that day comes, I've I've done it right. Well, I've got know? enough of the those good Catholic-y things. Those mm-hmm. good, I got enough of those on this side of the scale. Right. Right. But he talks about, um, you know, the Newhouse writes on 235. Stumbling our way toward home, we worry to ourselves about the unworthiness of our love, only to discover that it has already been attended to. There, on the cross, the life of every mother's child who ever lived or ever will live was handed over to the Father. Every hair has been numbered, every fallen sparrow taken into account. To fret about the quality of our love is to miss the point. Mm. It is an endless and futile search, he talks about, compounded by the complexity that the more rigorously it is pursued he's talking about this constant search like am i doing it right am i doing it right and he's going like that's not the point right just entrust yourself commend yourself to the father's love that's why i think i mean i said this in the mission it bears repeating that i think it's so powerful that that um that the message of divine mercy made its way into the human heart mm-hmm. um, when it did, you know, in the 20th century when there was the most, I mean, the unleashing of hell, the unleashing of ungodliness, the unleashing of the breakdown of so much. Um, and that at the bottom of the mess, at the bottom of that image is not like, Jesus, be merciful to me. Jesus, have mercy on me. It's Jesus, I trust in you. That like the image itself is inviting us into that posture, into that movement of entrustment, of, um, yeah, of abandonment, um, to recognize, like that is what the child can do. Like that's, at the end of the day, and at the end of our lives, <clears throat> it's simply Lord have mercy. Like right. it's it's the cry of Dismas from the cross. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's it's a, a prayer of abandonment. It's a prayer of trust. And I, I think that is, that's hard for us. As you were saying, that sort of American rugged individualism, self-made man. Um, you know, you ask people all the time, why should God let you into heaven? And they'll, they'll give you their curriculum vitae of virtues right. and, <laughs> and accomplishments and good deeds. And that's just not it. Mm-hmm. Like you can never, you you can never do enough, and not because like you you stink or you're not strong enough or you don't love enough, but because it's it's you're you're trying to cross over an infinite gulf, and only one who's infinite can can span that space and and like just Lord have mercy, please. It doesn't mean we just like you know, don't do anything in this life, but right. it's, um, I mean, we've talked about that in this book so far, but the, I do love that, that at the end, it is just this entrustment, this abandonment. And I think once you do relax in that place, um, and you stop freaking out and fretting, I think that does create the space for the growth in your love of the Lord and your growth in your responsiveness and your growth in, 
um, at the actual, you know, virtues. Mm-hmm. But it's it's the trusting, the abandonment, the entrustment part that I think comes first. You think, and this could get us off on a tangent, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I wonder if um, you and I have talked many times now about this whole notion that, like, Christendom is over, right? Yeah. Um, this this default sense of Christianity in certainly in the Western civilization is gone by the wayside. It will not be the 1950s again where seminaries are booming and we, you know, just everything is, um, you know, Christianity is just the default nature, especially in the United States. And so you wonder, though, if like that, that ascendancy of the Catholic culture led to more generations that were just like, were the rule followers. We go to mass, we do the rosary, you're going to do your sacraments. I don't know. I mean, I only know my own experience, but yeah. it seems like there is a more like actual, like organic, real spirituality in a smaller on fire church, which is what Pope Benedict talks about. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there were many in my grandparents' generation that, that had the, the uh, like I guess the, the the fire, that you see more today in certain like s- smaller segments, but you know there are populations of people you could just it feels different. Yeah, it feels different than when I was growing up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, I think that that's true. I, I think that. I mean, I think the church waxes and wanes between. Uh, so that Christendom reality that the church has has like that intense fire from Pentecost. You have twelve apostles, well, eleven, no Judas. Yeah. Um, by Judas, you have the the eleven gathered in the upper room. The Holy Spirit descends upon them. They have, I mean, they've had their encounter with the risen Lord. They know this is real. They know mm-hmm. everything. It just changes everything. Death becomes whatever. Like, and they're just so on fire. Uh, like when Peter preaches his Pentecost sermon, he's not reading from a text, right. you know, he's just cracking open his chest and sharing everything that he's experienced. So on fire. And I think like as that fire spreads, I mean, you think about a bonfire, if you were to spread the coals out, mm-hmm. the bonfire naturally cools. Yes, you can cover more, the fire can cover more ground, but the flame itself is cooling. Mm. Yeah. And I think what you see happening now what like John Paul II and Pope Benedict saw in the new evangelization is let's let's figure let's like gather the the bundles of coal so like that the the real power of the church right now is in like a a, a reproclamation that we don't exist without encountering the lord in his intimacy and his love um like when i think about guys who are in the seminary now the only reason to go to the seminary the only reason to be a priest now is because you've met the Lord, mm-hmm. you've fallen in love, and you've discovered in Him a person worthy of your entire life. You know, there's no social accoutrement to being. You know, you're not getting yeah. a new Cadillac every year. You're not the smartest person in town. Worst all, you're getting looks at you as you walk through airports with a Roman collar on. People are looking at like, oh, is he one of them? Yeah, exactly. Right. I, I can't imagine. Yeah. What the the scrutiny you get. Most people that you deal with in the real world are not people like me that no. think, like, you're awesome, you're a priest. No, the default the default position is a, is a slanted eye, kind of like, I don't I don't trust you. Yeah. Um, I think nuns inhabit. People still like nuns. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah. Because people love sound of music. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> 
but uh, but yeah, no, I think you're right. I think I think that fire is is yeah. I think that's real. What you were just saying. Yeah. Anyways, fun tangent. Oh, that was good. Yeah, that was really good. So where do you want to go next? Well, I think this whole business of the commending, I think, is important mm-hmm. to talk about. Um, that uh, what does it mean that Jesus commended himself to the Father? What does it mean that that we are commend? Like, what is this whole business? This this notion of com- uh, commendate com- commendation is commendation. That- yeah. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I, I, I got it on 239. He's got a great piece about this. He says, on the cross, the wounded word is returning from his mission. Remember the word, capital W, Jesus is the mm. word. Bringing with him the totality of all that love assumed in the lead a thief who believed oh. and half believed. Oh, Dismas, whose feast was uh, two days ago, St. Dismas. Oh, that's cool. Uh, followed by a ragtag band of tax collectors and sinners and the victims of history beyond numbering, victims who only know, who only now know the sacrifice of which their sacrifice was part. He's talking about the Jews in the Holocaust. He's talking about the aborted baby. He's talking about all the victims of history. There, choirs of angels, cherubim and seraphim, come out to meet him, to welcome home the Son of God. They stand aghast yeah. at the battered, tattered company he is bringing with him. They are all mine, he says. I I got really choked up at this. Yeah. That was so beautiful. Um, they are my brothers and sisters. They are the ones whom I went to seek and to save. I am taking them to the Father. I am taking them home. Um, yeah, I I think of the the scene, you know the movie Gladiator, of yep. course. Yeah, the scene where where Commodus is riding into Rome. And he's got this huge parade behind him, and all of Rome is there's drums and f- flower petals raining from the heavens, and um, like when you think of the way that we throw like big parade victory parade things, you know, or like when the Cavs won the right. championship in 2016, that victory parade. It was it was we're welcoming our champions home, and it's big and done up, and and the th- the thought that when the word when Christ comes home with this victory parade that the what is that person called in like the band who leads the band like in like college like oh the, uh, the drum major right okay that, sure yeah. yeah so like the drum major into heaven is dismiss you know rat like bedraggled as he says his yeah. great favorite word right and he's just looking terrible and like but he's smiling this big toothy gap tooth smile like Leading the charge in heaven, you got this crew behind them. The other image that I had in my mind was, have you seen the movie Hotel Rwanda? Yeah, it's been a while. Okay, the very end. So it's based on the true story of Paul Rusa Sebagina, who saved hundreds of people during the Rwandan genocide. But the very last shot of that movie is Paul and his wife walking towards the camera, and they have with them this huge group of maybe two dozen Rwandan orphans who who are just like they've just been living in refugee camps for like and they look just just exhausted and gross and and they're just walking he's like these are mine mm-hmm. right that was just and that's the image of adoption that's the image of 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 what Jesus is doing this parade into heaven this is what he's he's like this father I came to earth to take upon myself all of humanity 
right? Jesus wades into the murky waters of our humanity in his baptism, and he lifts all of it on his shoulders like the good shepherd, putting the sheep on his shoulders and says, I'm bringing all of this home. Right. Um, oh, and he's so, bringing it home, and this is such a weird thing. And Again, it's one of those classic Catholic things that we hear all the time that you don't internalize, but he's bringing us home as a gift, right? Yes. And he talks about it. This is in the third Eucharistic prayer. May he make us an everlasting gift to you, you the Father, and enable us to share in the inheritance of your saints with Mary, the Virgin Mother of God, and on and on. Like this bedraggled group of tax collectors and sinners and you and me. the good thief and you and me yeah. are, we are a gift to God. Yeah. The, I, I found that when I was started praying the Mass... Uh, that like the you've got the words in front of you in the Roman Missal, but you don't have, I mean, you don't have the intonation. So in the sense of sentences change their meaning based on how you put emphasis on words, right? right. So I always heard, may you make of us an eternal offering to you, so that with your saints and angels, blah blah blah. Like that's how that so- that's that's how that always sounded. But there was one day when I read it, may he make of us an eternal offering to you. Like can, you can hear that difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, and that's how I pray it now. If you ever, you I mean, I'm sure you, that, 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 that resonates, but the, um, that whole idea that in this offering of the Eucharist, Jesus is making of us through and with and in him, like, he's like, father, here is, here's my bride. Here's the church. Here yeah. are my brothers and sisters. Like, look mm-hmm. at them. Right? Don't look at their, don't look at the, you know, father, look not on our sins, but look on their faith. Right. Yeah. Which is what is faith, their openness to you. Like, look at that. Look, look, at what, look at what I'm giving you. Ah, so and for some reason, he wants us. For, for reasons we will never understand. Yeah. I wouldn't want me. <laughs> oh, he wants you. I know. Yeah. Oh, the never-ending, ever, reckless love of God, right? Uh-huh. Like the song. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's, Overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Yeah. Is Corey it. Asbury, um, please Look. don't sue us for uh, infringing on your song. Yeah, that's a plug, Corey. Yeah, that's a plug for Corey Asbury. That's a great song. It is. Um, yeah, so I, I love that he's, he starts to tie this up, and then he goes into, he starts this uh, on 244 through 246, but he talks about how this is only possible if Jesus actually was human. Yeah, this is great. Like, we can only... And I, he talks about some of the different heresies and stuff, which uh, back in the early centuries, which Newhouse goes into a lot. And I, and I was thinking about this this morning as I was preparing for this. Is like, uh, sometimes it can be, like, real heady and uh, the, oh, we're talking about these heresies and they have these weird names, that, these real words that, like, the average Catholic... But I, I love that he brings this up, and he doesn't explicitly say this in the book, but it's sort of like, we've thought about these things, you know? Yeah. Like, these fears and concerns and doubts that we as... Uh, lay people in mm-hmm. 2021 might have about the faith of the church and the things that it teaches. It's like, yeah, we've already dealt with that. And yeah. that's like Newt has this whole point through all this. It goes, yeah, there were people who said that Jesus was not really human. We have a heresy for that. Yeah. <laughs> there are people who say that he was human, but he only had one will, meaning uh, his will was the same as the father's. He had, So he, had, he actually couldn't have really been tempted mm. um, because... You know, he just had the will of the Father, and like they sort of knew how it was all going to go, anyways. Yeah. And he's like, "Well, that can't be because then what Jesus did was not a free gift, and none of that works." 
So he's talking about, he goes into this whole thing about like, no, he actually was human. Because if he's not, then his gift of us to the Father means nothing. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, totally. This is some of the stuff that uh, I, I love teaching the kids in the school. Like, I love breaking this stuff down, you know, like thinking about the, the persons of the Trinity or the two natures of Christ. Um, you know, when they ask, like, was God born? Yeah. That's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Was God the Father born? No. Was God the Son born? Or God the Holy Spirit born? No. But was God the Son born? Yeah. Like, yeah. so, like, the, the, all that stuff, like, he, like, I love how he says, this can feel like dry academic stuff, but this has an immediate bearing on how we believe and what we believe today. So this whole, uh, yeah, the, these councils, it's not just that we've like argued or thought through this. This is, we've bled and died for this, mm-hmm. right? There, there's, there's martyrs who defended these words. Like th- the words that we just so blithely say, right. you know, I believe in Jesus Christ, you know, consubstantial with the Father, through right. him all things were made. That just falls off our lips. And yet you had uh, like St. Athanasius who was exiled over and over again, uh, like lived in fear of being executed and murdered all over the Mm -hmm. place because most of the world had gone Arian. Um, You know, most of the world, most of the bishops had flipped to this Arian heresy and he was defending the true faith. Right. Um, But yeah, like we have bled and died over these these subtle distinctions because... I mean, as he says, specificity is all, right? Oh, I know. Getting specific. Because if, if, if Jesus did not have two wills, as you said, like, I love how he said this, Jesus would not have been the universal representative freely joining us to take our part. He would have been little more than a stand-in, a puppet, in a morality play that finally changes nothing. Mm. Yeah. Right, but that's not what it was. That's not what it was. He is the word incarnate, which I think that's another one of those questions you probably get. Like when we say the creed, O mother of the word incarnate, right? Yeah. Or, or no, I'm, just, I'm quoting the memorari. But when we say... Um, was incarnate of was the Holy Spirit. Was incarnate of Holy Spirit. Yeah. We bow. And I think that's a relatively recent change, or maybe that's just in the Cleveland Diocese. Like I don't remember doing that growing up, but I know we do it here. Regardless... But it, it is that mm-hmm. recognition that, no, he actually was human. And I, you said this at one of our RCIA or our Becoming Catholic sessions. Um, and it never really struck me, but, like, there's literally a human being in the Trinity in heaven. Two of them. Well, two, yeah. Yeah. Because mama. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's what's, that's crazy, like. Yeah, that Mary, Jesus is eternally generated in the Father and eternally like still generated in Mary in heaven, like it's it's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. Oh, and that's a great. I think this is a great transition. So, like, not the type of human, but the actual person of Christ. And, and this goes back to the title of this chapter: "The Scars of God." Yeah. And Newhouse talks about this a couple of times. He's like the Jesus that is in the Trinity, that is in heaven bears the scars of the cross, right? The only God that we know is the crucified God. And even every time Jesus appears, like when St. Faustina, right? What's her famous painting of the divine mercy? The wounds, the stigmata, they're permanent. They mm-hmm. didn't heal up afterwards. Yeah. And and that's like that's the Jesus that we know. It's the Jesus that we'll see, God willing. Yeah. I have this, I don't know, I have this... this 
time of prayer one time where I, I, I saw Jesus returning to the Father after the Passion, and he comes up there and he stands before the Father, and the Father's, you know, his heart's beaming and overflowing for his son. You know, I'm so proud of you, like, well done. And he looks at the, all the wounds, all the pain, all the suffering, and he says, you know, I can take care of those now. I can, mm-hmm. we, can, we, can we can fix those up. And I just saw Jesus saying, no, I want to keep them. Um, and I had this image of, like, forever now, God the Father beholds us through the wounds of his son. That, like, those are the portals almost, like, through which, and I just see, like, Jesus, like, standing before the Father. No, look at them through these. Um, not that God is this angry God, but that he, we are beheld through the wounds of the Son. Mm. Yeah, that is uh, that's powerful. That is that is yeah. He says that on two fifty. Indeed, Christ is returning in glory to judge the living and the dead. It is always the crucified Christ who bears the scars, and um, so he he goes from there. And it, this is, starts this little reflection on some of these different wounds of Christ. And it's not really a reflection on the whole stigmata, which actually that would be a really interesting book if, if anybody's ever written it. I wonder if anybody's ever done like a I'm whole sure. meditation on the different wounds of yeah. the stigmata. But he talks about um, the, uh, the, the piercing. And I think this is really appropriate for us here at Sacred Heart, right? Yeah. He talks on 251 or... It is said that the water and the blood flowed from his pierced heart, and this gave rise to the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, which has been enormously popular since the 18th century, but goes back to mystical writing centuries before before that. The pierced heart is now empty, open for all to enter. I just, uh, I don't know, we don't, at our parish, I don't, you and I have talked about this, we don't really... We don't talk about the Sacred Heart nearly as much as we probably should here at the Sacred Heart of Jesus, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we obviously always celebrate the Feast of the Sacred Heart and stuff, but there's there's a lot to, to delve into there. That pierced heart is open for us to enter. Oh, there's so much there, yeah. that at My 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 buddy, Father Ryan Cabrera, he, he said one time, uh, one, I don't know, I don't remember if I was like trying to overly intellectualize something. He goes, he, I remember he said, though, we, the devotions to the Sacred Heart, not the Sacred Head of Jesus. Mm. Um, which I love. That's good. Yeah, that good. But uh, I mean, you think about so the the on the cross, his physical organ, his heart muscle was pierced. Uh, and when we speak about like in spirituality, when we speak poetically, when we talk about our heart, we all know that we're not talking about like when we say like my heart was pierced. Uh, we don't necessarily mean, yeah, something happened to my left ventricle. It's <laughs> that deepest part of me, that deepest center of me where I am, where my I, my ego, my I sits. As the catechism says, it's also the place where we are alone with God in the depth of our heart, in that, de- in that deepest of places. Um, it's the place of decision. It's the place of life and death. And uh, like the fact that Jesus... Like that Jesus has a heart, not just, you know, left and right ventricle and, you know, aorta and those valves. And uh, he has this deepest of center and to sacramentalize the bursting open of that deepest of center, you have this soldier piercing his heart saying like, all, there is nothing left hidden. I, I have, I have let you enter the deepest center of me, right? If the word, like what you see on the cross 
is the, the vulnerabilization of God. God making himself utterly vulnerable, right? The word vulnerable means to be, a willingness to be wounded or woundable, mm-hmm. vulnus, wound in Latin. So what you see on the cross is the wounded, like the vulnerability of God. I'm putting myself in your hands. I'm letting you in all the way. And, and by all the way, Jesus is saying, yeah, I'll even let you pierce my heart. I'll, I'll let you in even there. I mean, you think about Thomas on the morning of the resurrection or two, a week after the resurrection, where he invites Thomas to place his hand into the wound in mm. his side. Like, I will even, like, I, I'll, I'll let you, I'm letting you in all the way. Right. Um, which is why, like, in Christ's vulnerability, he invites us into that posture of vulnerability to let him in all the way. But, like, the heart is... Uh, it's it's that bursting forth of the treasury that is in God, and He's saying, "I'm letting I'm letting you have full access to it." Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, that's great. That's so cool. It's just to think about it that way. Mm. Um, it, also, I, just a little side note. I think probably our, our our many listeners are probably very familiar with this, but whenever there's a Eucharistic miracle, and now that we have all this advanced science, right? Yeah. Uh, and they will send these uh, these hosts that turn into what looks like blood and flesh to these labs, and they send them to them without any. There's not a cover letter like, by the way, we think this might be a yeah. Eucharistic miracle. Yeah. No, they just send to these to these labs and go, "What is this? What can you tell us about this? What does it always come back? It's always heart tissue. Yeah. Whenever it's always a positive blood." It's always heart tissue. It's still beating. It's still beating. It's like it has just, it's still living. They find white blood cells in the blood from these Eucharistic miracles. And they uh, they always find that it's a heart that has suffered some severe trauma. Yeah. And they're like, was this person beaten? Like, what is this? And then you tell them like, oh, no, this was a consecrated host that fell on the floor. Yeah. And then people start converting. Yeah. This story in particular that people should check out if, they, if they're like, what are you talking about, is the Eucharistic miracle of Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. Just just Google that and, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll just be shocked. And but, Pope Francis plays a role in that because he was the bishop yeah, good at old the time. George Bergoglio. <laughs> so yeah. um, anyways, as we continue on these different, the scars of God, he says on 252, and I thought we could talk about this for a second. Then the body of Christ was on the cross, and now the body of Christ, the church, is on the cross. And I was just, that really hit, I've, again, I've read this, I actually went and looked. The first time I read this was in 2009, so this is like number 12. Um, this really feels like the church is on the cross. Yeah. The last 20 years that we've been living, if this is not the body of Christ on the cross with the just the the problems that we've created for ourselves in the church, but not, but just the way that the world looks at us, the persecution that we're having, we're living in a country now where religious liberty is literally on the dock right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, uh, we, I, I think it was uh, Cardinal Francis George, who's dead now, but he said that like he was expect he expected to be thrown into prison in his lifetime for just preaching the gospel. You know, that didn't happen, but, he said, I, I will die in my bed, my successor will die in prison, and his successor will die a martyr there in you the go. streets. Yeah. That does not feel too far off at all. 
Well, when you consider that his successor is Cardinal Blaise Supich, I'm not so sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'll edit that out or not, but uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, look it up and you'll figure it out real quick. But it doesn't negate the fact that there is some beautiful truth to those. I mean, there is truth in those words. And, and what's true also is that, like, all throughout history, the church has always been dying and rising in different places, mm-hmm. right? The Paschal Mystery is always taking place at all times. There's parts of the body of Christ that are dying. There's parts of the body of the Christ that are rising. Right. Um, there's parts of the body of Christ that are being scourged. There's parts that are being, bare, like, wrapped and, in, and entombed mm-hmm. as we speak. Uh, I mean, you think about, like, the Christians, the Coptic Christians in Iraq. Right. That don't exist there anymore because mm-hmm. ISIS drove them out. It was the one of the oldest flourishing Christian communities uh, of of Coptic Catholics, you know, Coptic Christians. Like that church has been buried, right? You know, uh, but places in Africa, like they can't build seminaries and convents fast enough. Exactly. The church is exploding there, like or in the Philippines, mm-hmm. it's exploding. But yeah, I mean, certainly here, the 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 body of Christ, the church. The catechism says, will go the way of the head. Like the Holy Spirit's job is to Christify us, to recreate in us the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ. Like we don't, we don't get like this sort of, you know, side fast pass, you know, to, to glory. We will go the way of the head, uh, both on a large scale, but also on a personal scale. The Holy Spirit is inviting us into these these cross point moments to conform us to the cruciformity of God's love. Yeah, that's what He's trying to do. That's what He's trying to do. And Newhouse talks on maybe right there. I, I was thinking of you. He's trying to conform us, and he talks about this uh, uh, this psychologist psychiatrist who does this exercise. Yeah. And he gets people into a room. And Newhouse is quick to point out. He's like, these are not, these are like those self-made men and women, right? These are the, the hoi polloi of hoi American polloi. society. Yeah. And he, get, he gets them up and they pair up with a partner. And the partner, you're supposed to ask the other partner, what do you want? And ask it over again, over and over again. What do you want? What do you want? He says, could anything be simpler? One innocent question and its answer. And yet time after time, I have seen this group exercise evoke unexpectedly powerful feelings. Often within minutes, the room rocks with emotion. Men and women, and these are by no means the desperate or needy, but the uh, successful, well-functioning, well-dressed people who glitter as they walk are stirred to their depths. They call out to those who are forever lost, dead or absent parents, spouses, children, friends. I want to see you again. I want your love. I want you to know you are proud of me. I want you to know I love you and how sorry I am. I never told you. I want you back. I am so lonely. I want the childhood I never had. So much wanting, so much longing, and so much pain. So close to the surface, only minutes deep. Destiny pain, existence pain, pain that is always there, worrying continuously just beneath the membrane of life. Oh, I, I just wrote, well, after my exclamation point, Confession. I mean, this has just got to be. You're, you just said the whole uh, Christifying of our lives, and like, what do we have to do? Those masks that we have to take off to allow that to happen. This has just got to be what you deal with on a daily basis in confession. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, the, that phrase, um, so much pain so close to the surface, only minutes deep. That right there resonates so much with my experience with people um, that there really isn't anybody who's exempted from what this paragraph is describing. Mm-hmm. There just isn't any, like he said, like there's no grown-ups. There's also nobody who's walking around going, I'm totally fine. Um, we have people who pretend to be totally fine all the time. And part of it is, is yeah, we have to, we have to like function, uh, and, and deal and cope. But it's like, you just, just scratch a few microns beneath the surface and, and like the Hoover dam is waiting there. Mm. Um, and, and it's, we, we, we've done such a job of, Mocking the things that 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 matter the most, you know. We talk about people having. We make fun of people who have like daddy issues, right? Right, or, um, you know, like like why don't just grow up, like move on, you mm-hmm. know. But you can't. Like it's there. It's just there. Uh, these 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 moments that are. Oh yeah, he's just right. It's just it's just so spot on, and I just think it's so powerful. And I, we were saying this before we started recording that that Jesus's first question in the Gospel of John is exactly this question: What like what do you want? He asked those two disciples of John the Baptist who are following him, or other translations will say, "What do you de- what do you desire? What are you looking for?" Um, and it's it's all of this. Getting in touch with this is is getting in touch with Christ who's desiring to enter into those deepest of places. Wow. Yeah, and I think the real answer to what we want, of course, is peace, love, right? Union with God uh, at, at its root. Even the people who don't know that that's what they're looking for, if they couldn't, they would never articulate it that way, perhaps. That's truly what it is. And I think this is this leads to like this is what Jesus accomplished. It's like the whole purpose of this book. Yeah, is that all of this has been attended to all of that that pain, all of the the shame, all of that was caught up there on Calvary. Yeah, and there, that's why it's no secret. Like as we always talk about as you're teaching kids about confession, like Jesus knows. Like we need you to name the sin, but at the same time, just like all those feelings, he's already. He's taking care of all of it. Yeah, and and if the, we would just let him, that's it. Yeah, will we will we finally just let him uh, do in us what he wants to do? Will we finally let him love us uh, where we want to be loved? Will we finally let him in where we want him to be? Will we finally say yes in all the places where we have said no? Will we will we let him commend us to the Father? Mm-hmm. Will we be children and say yes? I'm going to stop trying and let you carry me. Um, that's the question. Like that real, like the spiritual life ultimately is, is a, is a question of, will you let yourself be loved? Hmm. Um, it's not a matter of trying to earn the love or attract the love. It's just, will you like Chris batch? Like, will you, will you just let yourself be loved? Will you like, will you let me love you is ultimately the question. That's what he's trying to accomplish. You yeah. wanna? So we, the the very end here of this chapter, the very end of this book, 
Um, oh, he just he just ends so beautifully. Um, I don't know. Do you have you you should have a, a final word here before I, we give him the final word? Yeah, I mean. So first of all, just for the people that have been listening uh, all these weeks, hopefully this has been something incredible for them, or at least uh, eye-opening, enlightening, yeah. maybe pick up the book. But uh, yeah, it all leads up to this. We were talking about what we're about to read here. We were talking, when you hear it, if you haven't read it, you just wonder if Newhouse had this written like on day one yeah. and said, I'm going to work up to this, because this is just your, the whole question, will, will you let me love you? And through all the tears, through all the pain, through all the doubt, all the feelings of unworthiness, if we will just let them, if we will just let that happen. I remember on my high school retreat, we went on, we did Kairos, my high school, and they handed out these little cards, like business card size that said, God does not make junk Mm. and let go and let God, like real simple stuff. But that's really, I mean, it's not our whole life is figuring out that we're not junk. And just let go, let God, like you said. Yeah. Well, love us. That's it. And then we, and then we can go home. Here's Newhouse. We're gonna give him the final word. To prodigal children lost in a distant land, to disciples who forsook him and fled, to a thief who believed or maybe took pity and pretended to believe, to those who did not know that what they did, they did to God, to the whole bedraggled company of humankind he had abandoned heaven to join. He says, come, everything is ready now. In your fears and your laughter, in your friendships and farewells, in your loves and losses, in what you have been able to do and in what you know you will never get done, come follow me. We are going home to the waiting father. Consumatum est. It is finished. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Well, Father, thank you. Uh, this was your idea. This whole podcast was your idea. So thank you for inviting me to do it. Thank you for reading the book. I'm glad I didn't disappoint with my recommendation. No, man. You did not. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. I Yeah, I mean, look at my bedraggled book. Like it, is, <laughs> it is junked up to shreds, but that's that's great. So, yeah. And, like, thanks for joining us. Uh Although we're done with this book, uh, we've got some stuff, some fun stuff planned for uh, the coming weeks. This podcast is not done. Core odd core, heart to heart, uh, is uh, is just getting going. So Father Richard John Newhouse got us going. He got the uh, he got the juices flowing for us. So yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be exciting. And um, stay tuned. Come back next Friday for for our next episode. And this is gonna drop on Good Friday. This episode. So for those listening to this. Happy Easter. Indeed. God bless everybody. Bye.